I'm Lisa DeLay, and you're listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. Welcome to Spark My Muse. I'm so happy to have a special guest today. The Reverend James Martin S.J. is a Jesuit priest and an author of many books, the editor-at-large at America Magazine. In 2017, Pope Francis appointed him as a consultant to the Vatican Department of Communications, and Father Jim has been called one of the best spiritual writers of our time. I've personally noticed that while this is not true of many people sometimes in full-time religious vocation, Father Jim has a pastor's heart, and he spiritually shepherds others with grace and love through his work. Thank you so much, Father Jim. I'm so happy to have you here. My pleasure. Glad to be with you. I've really been enjoying your Examen app. I've been using it regularly. And for people who don't know what Examen is or what this app offers, could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, So the Daily Examen is a practice, a prayer practice um, that was popularized by St. Ignatius Loyola, uh, who's the founder of the Jesuit order, the religious order I belong to. And it's uh, it's basically a short end of the day prayer where you look at where God has been active in your life. And uh, it's pretty simple. You start with gratitude for things you're, you know, obviously grateful for from God. And then you review the day, start to finish to see where God was active, where you might have noticed God. And then you look at places where you might have sinned or failed. And then you ask God for the grace for the next day. It's It's basically a review of the day. And we had this, you know, as you know, this Examine po- uh, podcast, this app, basically, called Daily Examine. And it's it's a lot easier, as you found, probably, to um, do it uh, when you're being led through it, right, mm. uh, than it is to kind of do it on your own. But you can do it on your own if you want. So, I, I mean, I as a Jesuit, I, I don't think I've missed it for 30 years. That's a really powerful prayer. And it's really mm. short, only 15 minutes at the end of the day. Yeah, I wind up sometimes doing it in the morning of the next day, and then I find... Uh, I, I can't really remember my day, so it is better probably do it just before bed, and it helps you get an inventory and reflect back on your day. I've noticed that the reflection uh, gives me more space uh, and, and more awareness for the next day and to set intentions and, and to invite God into my day. Well, I think that's right, and also I think we tend to, uh, most of us sort of just move on from the day without really pausing and thanking God and noticing where God has been active, and we sort of say, okay, well, that's that, on to the next, you know, on to the next day. Uh, And so it's very helpful to um, encourage people to slow down, to pause, to um, notice, and to say thanks, because we're, we're generally problem solvers and want to just go on and move on and <laughs> and forget what's what's happened and it's you know it's not a you know practicing the attitude of gratitude is a really important part of uh, Christian spirituality. Hmm. I've heard you say in an interview that you love writing about Jesus and you talk can you talk just a minute for about your last book that you wrote I believe it was the seven last words a deep an invitation for deeper friendship with Jesus what would readers find when they encounter your book? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I've written a couple books where obviously Jesus is sort of at the heart of them. One is called Jesus, a Pilgrimage. But the one you're talking about is uh, a reflection on the seven last, they say, words or phrases that Jesus uttered on the cross. And your Christian listeners would know all those. They, you know, um, uh, forgive them for they do not want know what they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I thirst. It is finished. And in in Catholicism, there's a tradition that they're called the seven last words, and they're often the centerpiece of a 
uh, a liturgy. And so what I did was I I wrote a book uh, that was based on a um, a series of talks that I gave uh, at St. Patrick's Cathedral and just meditated on what what those words mean in Jesus's life and what do they mean in our lives. So, for example, mm-hmm. Jesus saying, you know, my God, my God, you have, have abandoned me. What does that mean? Does he really feel that? Does he feel that the father has abandoned him? When do we feel abandoned? How does that provide us with an ins- an insight and an entree into Jesus's life? So kind of an extended meditation on that part of Jesus's life is a way of showing us that Jesus, you know, fully divine, fully human, really understands our suffering, understands what we're going through. Mm. I wanted to talk a little bit about the book you wrote called Building a Bridge. It seemed to me that you were sending a message to the LGBT community that God really loves them. And what kind of bridge do you see being built between the church and the LGBT community? Well, that's a great question. Uh, You know, different churches have different approaches. And so if you are in one denomination, you might feel, as an LGBT person, completely comfortable. Uh, You know, I would say that many LGBT people say in the Episcopal Church in the United States feel very comfortable, most of them, I would say. Uh, In other churches, you may feel less comfortable, other Christian denominations. And so the bridge that I'm hoping for is just a bridge of love and compassion and respect. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And it's a reminder that uh, you know, without getting into any of the hot button topics like same sex marriage, that Jesus reaches out to people on the margins and it's people who feel like they are not part of the community. And certainly, uh, whatever you think about LGBT uh, issues, you really have to accept the fact that I think that LGBT people feel com- almost completely marginalized in some Christian churches and certainly in the Catholic Church. And that was the prime. Mm-hmm. audience that I wrote it for. They really feel like lepers. And so our responsibility is to really do what Jesus did, which is to reach out to these people who feel like they're on the margins. Mm. And in a practical sense, what does that look like um, if you're a Catholic or if you're a Christian in a flesh and bones way? What does that look like? Well, another great question. It means really uh, befriending them mm. and being as, as friendly with them as you are with anybody else. Uh, listening to them, in particular listening to their experiences of being hurt by the church, uh, of being marginalized, of being excluded, and exp- mm-hmm. you know, trying to hear their experience of what it's like to be an LGBT person. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, the inevitable response is, oh, well, they're all sinners and, you know, because they're all doing this and that. And, you know, a lot of times I say to people, well, first of all, we're all sinners, right? <laughs> I mean, anybody in the church is a sinner. And second of all, a lot of times you're talking about kids, you know, like some 13, 14, 15-year-old kid who's doing nothing wrong, uh, even according to the strictest, you know, reading of uh, church teaching, and, you know, who feels like he's dirt or, or God has made a mistake or he's not welcome. And so we really have to take that seriously, this, this notion that these people feel that they're not part of the church and that God doesn't love them. And, you know, one of the things I point out to people is that Suicide rates among LGBT youth are five times as high as they are for straight kids. Mm. And so, you know, what, what, and, and a lot of times this has to do with coming from families who reject them for religious reasons. Mm. And so, you know, what can we do to make these people feel more loved by God? Because God loves them, and mm. so should we. As a priest, um, in the Catholic Church, are you allowed to be openly gay? Or are, do you have to be closeted? I'm not sure how it works. 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's an article in uh, the current issue of New York Magazine by Andrew Sullivan, a long article, something like 8,000 words. Mm. You know, there are gay priests uh, in the Catholic Church. I mean, mm -hmm. I know many of them. Um, they're celibate and chaste, just like straight mm -hmm. priests. I mean, they, they, they're very faithful to their vows. But there's so much homophobia and hatred out there that most of them feel uh, that they can't be um, public about their sexuality. You know, now to be clear, you know, that's not the most important thing of who they are. And obviously you don't want to step up in the pulpit every, you know, every Sunday and talk about that. Uh -huh. But, you know, there would be times when it is appropriate. You know, I mean, if you're counseling someone who's mm. suicidal and who's who's gay and, you know, it sometimes might help to say, hey, I had those experiences. Or uh -huh. if there's an incident of bullying in the community to be able to talk to that. You know, and straight priests regularly, Catholic straight priests regularly say something like, oh, you know, when I gave up a wife, you know, I mm. blah, blah, blah. You know, and a gay gay person can't say that, obviously. Mm. So it's a very difficult position for a lot of them to be in because they feel, you know, really targeted. And yet, you know, a lot of these people are some of the hardest working priests in the church. Yeah. And I, I'm assuming that if it's it's kind of sending a mixed message to say, well, I can't. God loves you and the church loves you. I can't say anything about right. my, my life. You know, that's I'm a not very good point. I'm not going to be loved if I say the truth. That is a, that's a great point. And it, it is a kind of, is a kind of revelation of the hypocrisy that exists in the church about that. Because, you know, every bishop and cardinal and even the Pope understands that there are gay priests in mm -hmm. the ministry who are doing great work. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, they're now being linked to the sex abuse crisis. Mm. You know, um, certainly most of the abuse happened, you know, it's men preying on uh, adolescents and boys. And so there is this homosexual element. But that does not mean that, you know, as we know, that uh, that that all gay priests or even most gay priests are abusers. And it doesn't mean that homosexuality leads to pedophilia. We all know that. But, you know, they feel really targeted because mm. of all that. And, you know, who would come out in an environment like this? Mm. You know, as you say that, and um, I know that some people, I, I've seen the hysteria. And, and of course, that this is not to put, um, of course, there were a lot of people victimized and there was a lot of damage. And I, so I, I realize it's understandable for Catholics to be afraid and maybe flee from the Catholic Church. Sure, Although, and, and angry um, too. Yeah, and there's just been waves and waves and generations of hurt. Mm -hmm. and so, I, so taking that into consideration, at the same time there's that, I also see a, a Protestant move toward um, Mother Church or original church, as you might say, just because of there's... Um, there's more groundedness there. And so um, <clears throat> not that anybody would want to risk going into an environment where there might be cover-ups and things like that. Mm -hmm. But at, at the one time, I, at the one point I see an uh, exodus, I see also see on the other side um, a longing for th these deeper, richer traditions where uh, there's more going on. And yet the long-established hierarchy can try to sustain itself by keeping things under wraps, by keeping, by keeping things quiet and not, let's not disturb things. So, so it's a really interesting um, time of, of cleaning house in, in the Catholic Church. And, and hopefully as that happens, um, you know, I, I suppose it's just a, it's just a difficult time to be a priest and be a Catholic, but also, uh, a good time to, to realize things have to come out and be healed as well. 
Well, that's a good way of putting it. Yes, it is a ter- it's a terrible time to be a priest. I mean, it's just <laughs> awful because, yeah. you know, you have all these lists coming out. Now, most of the abuse is, you know, it's, it's it, way in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are no priests in ministry who have been, you know, certainly uh, guilty of abuse or credibly accused of any abuse. They're all out. But nonetheless, for those of us who are behind, you know, mm-hmm. I think abuse is maybe like two to three or four percent of the priests, you know, for the 96 mm-hmm. percent of us who are behind, it's really difficult because you're labeled as, you know, uh, an abuser almost because you're part of this organization. But you're right. It's a time to clean house and it's a time to uh, look at what God is asking us to do, which is to confront this head on. I mean, I think the model in the Catholic Church of confession is really appropriate, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. you have to fully confess your sins because before you are able to uh, you know, do your penance and even think about being forgiven. Uh, and we're still doing that. We're still fully confessing it. Uh, my own Jesuit province uh, last week, I think, released the names of 50 guys since 1950 who had been abusers. And so that's that's important. It's hard to see it, you know, because it raises all sorts of questions. And it, mm. in a sense, it, it, it stirs all sorts of things up for victims again, and which is really sad. Um, but it's necessary. We, we have to do it. I mean, it's part of confession. Mm. Um, why don't you give us a sense of what you do at American Magazine and this new endeavor, Faith in Focus? Sure. So I am a Jesuit priest, as as you were saying, um, and I was ordained in 99. I entered the Jesuits in 98. And since ordination, I've been working as an editor at America Media, which is a, a multimedia Catholic, uh, you know, actually, I didn't say that right. It's a, <laughs> it's a Catholic <laughs> multimedia ministry. And, you know, basically we have a magazine, we have a website, we have videos and podcasts and all sorts of things. Um, Anything you could think of, we have a a book publishing arm. Um, And so I write, basically, um, because I'm a Jesuit and I take a vow of poverty, all the royalties to my books go to the magazine, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So mainly I'm a writer and I write books um, like the Jesus book and Seven Last Words and the Building a Bridge. But also, we started uh, recently a little show on YouTube called Faith and Focus, where we interview people about their faith lives. Uh, well-known people like Stephen Colbert and Jim and Jeannie Gaffigan and John Dickerson from CBS News and all sorts of other people. We had Krista Tippett um, from On Being. I'm sure people have listened to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's a place for people to come and talk about their faith in a serious way. And I really enjoyed it. I, I actually had my doubts when we started. I thought, well, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? A show on YouTube. That seems kind of cheesy. <laughs> uh, but it's fun. So uh, obviously you've watched it. So yeah. one person's watching it. <laughs> no, it's good. I, it's it's kind of newsy. I wasn't expecting yeah. it to have so many segments. But um, it tells a lot of information. And uh, I really did enjoy the episode that I saw. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> we work hard on it. <laughs> um, I know that the that the Jesuits um, are all about finding God in all things. I had a um, Ignatian trained spiritual director and I'm, oh. I go to the, um, the Warnersville in Warnersville, Pennsylvania. Oh. There's a Jesuit. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I sometimes go there for a prayer and I'm hoping to find a new spiritual director from, from there. And I was hoping that maybe you could talk a little bit about um, the invitation to encounter God in life and, how Ignatian prayer and imagination using scripture works. Sure. Uh, first of all, I can, after we're finished, I can recommend a few directors of Wernersville. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, it's a great, it's a great place, the Jesuit retreat center there for people who want to do a retreat in Pennsylvania or anywhere nearby. Well, um, 
basically, the, the, you know, Ignatian prayer takes people where they are. Uh, so if you went to a Jesuit retreat house, they would, you know, they take you where you are and talk to you about your own prayer and your uh, finding God in your daily life. But one of the traditions of uh, Ignatian or Jesuit prayer is um, uh, Ignatian contemplation, in which you imagine yourself uh, in the scene, in the gospel scene. So, for example, if you are praying about uh, Jesus uh, sort of stilling the storm, you would try to picture yourself in the scene and try to ask yourself, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What do you taste? What do you smell? To really, as St. Ignatius says, compose the place and then allow your imagination to work. And this is one way of encountering God through our imaginative prayer. And it can be extremely powerful for people. Um, mm-hmm. Have you had experience with that? Yeah, I have. It's, in, in fact, the storm, uh, mm-hmm. Jesus in the storm was the thing mm-hmm. I did. And it, it it was tremendous. I had never yeah. experienced something like that. But where you, you feel um, Jesus with you and you feel um, the connection and uh, moving forward from there, I guess just more of a sense of God's presence with you. Well, that's great. And and maybe you could explain to people, because I think it's mm-hmm. always better to hear from someone who's mm-hmm. new to it, or well, what was it like? I mean, was it difficult to do? And, uh, you know, a lot of people think you're, you know, you're seeing visions, <laughs> but maybe you could explain <laughs> it to people. Well, I think it was just that my uh, director read the passage of scripture and then said, you know, imagine you're you're in the boat and do you, you know, describe what you're imagining? You know, what's the, what's mm-hmm. the, what are the waves like? Is it dark? Is it light? Is, mm. you know, and I just was imagining it and, um, and, uh, she's like, well, where's Jesus and where are you? And I said, oh, I'm just, uh, snuggled up with Jesus taking a nap mm. with him. <laughs> that's interesting. And she said, well, that's, that sounds beautiful. That sounds wonderful. And I, I think I was just thinking, well, if he's comfortable, I am too, you know? Well, that's, that is not, and isn't that great? Because one of the great things is that is something that you would, and that's a gift from God. I mean, we mm-hmm. have to trust that, you know, God is sort of inviting you to be comfortable with Jesus, which frankly, I've never heard. So it's a great image. Mm-hmm. Usually it's someone yelling at Jesus, get up, get up. <laughs> there are so many storms in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it, it's a different way of encountering scripture than simply reading it, which mm-hmm. is fine, you know, or simply thinking about it right? Or sort of thinking about it intellectually, which is fine. Mm-hmm. It's a more uh, experiential, imaginative way of encountering God. And then mm-hmm. what happens is you you try to say to yourself, All right, what is God telling me this? So your director mm-hmm. might say, well, are you being invited to rest more in your life? Are you being invited to just be more with Jesus in your life? Are you being invited to, you know, what what is, what is God sort of asking you to look at? Yeah. And the other great thing is the next time you read that passage, I'm sure, the next time it comes mm-hmm. up in church, you see it a lot differently mm-hmm. because yeah. it's your experience, mm-hmm. right? And so it's very powerful. Not everybody likes it, um, mm-hmm. but not everybody has to do it. And there are other ways of praying, uh, of course, but uh, mm-hmm. it's a really, I find it a very powerful way. I, that's the primary way I pray on retreat myself. Yeah, it, it probably does depend on, I'm very visual and creative yeah. and imaginative anyway. So for me, um, that was a lot better than propositional things. And um, I just, I kind of, it's a natural fit for me. So, uh, but I understand that it's not going to work for everyone. Uh, but for me, I was like, well, this is, it just blew open a whole new door of, of experience. Yeah, that's great. And especially for people who are quite visual and, and, and have good imaginations and are open to that. 
it can be really powerful. Uh, I, I do know a few people who say, well, I, I just, I just can't, I get a little confused. It's, it's mm -hmm. distracting. And I say, that's okay. Mm -hmm. You can just focus on one part of that story. You can focus on one part of that. Uh, you're just one word in the story, but it, it, when, when it works, I mean, I hate to use that term in terms <laughs> of prayer, but yeah, when you kind of feel like you're in the groove, it can be really strong and I'd encourage people out there to, you don't have to have any advanced degrees to do it. I'd encourage people who are listening to the podcast to, mm -hmm. to try it, to just imagine and ask yourself, what do I see? What do I hear? What do I feel? What do I smell? What do I uh, sort of touch? And what's mm -hmm. my taste? Sometimes taste is important for like the wedding feast of Cana or the feeding of the 5,000, mm -hmm. right? You know, what yeah. does the bread taste like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and the salt air is, is something I felt like I tasted. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think um, that kind of embodying is like, it's the mysteries. And, and I feel like the Holy Spirit does work through the senses. And um, it's like, I can't really, I can't really explain it, that it makes sense. But I also know how the Lord moves in me. So I, I'm not gonna, well, I'm not gonna say it's, oh, well, this is, this is gonna work for you. But I could say I've been changed. Yeah, and I think it's really I think that's a great insight because it's important to say to people, when I first heard about it, I thought, well, that's ridiculous. You know, you're just make, <laughs> making stuff up in your head and what is that? But it's basically, you know, recognizing that God created your imagination mm -hmm. and that we pre we pretty much do that kind of Ignatian contemplation whenever we hear a scripture passage. I mean, if someone says, you know, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, I mean, you know, you you imagine it. That's what you're doing naturally. Um, and interestingly, someone said to me recently that Jesus does that with the parables. Oh, uh, yeah. Jesus offers a kind of meditation. You know, uh, a man had two sons. I was just reading that last night, um, you know, the, uh, the prodigal son. Mm. You know, Jesus is telling a story and with a lot of detail. Uh, you know, the man saw him from far off. And of course, in your mind, you are picturing that. And so it's a perfectly... Um, wonderful and traditional way of uh, of praying it's just uh it's something that, that that people i think need to be invited into and to say it's okay to pray with your imagination and and to have something that's not in the story so for example in your case there's nothing that says that any of the disciples were snuggled up next to jesus but that's clearly where god is inviting you and so why not go there why not sort of be open to that mm -hmm. i mean it's the holy spirit sort of you know uh, kind of moving us to that so why not say yes to the spirit Hmm. Are you working on anything now, like a book uh, or something that's close to your heart that you wanted to speak about or tell my listeners? Yeah, sure. Uh, so this Building a Bridge book just came out on LGBT Catholics, and that's that's sort of, you know, finished mm -hmm. now. And uh, so my next book is, it's funny, we're talking about this. My next book is on prayer, which is why this is so oh. uh, kind of like, uh, you know, on the tip of my tongue. Uh -huh. uh, and it's just kind of a soup to nuts um, book on prayer called How to Pray with all the different kinds of ways of praying and questions mm -hmm. that come up, distractions, and how do we know it's God. And mm -hmm. so I'm trying to finish that. I don't think I'll be done for another year or so. And then I really want to do a book, God willing, uh, on Lazarus. That's my favorite gospel oh. story. Yeah, I love Lazarus. I haven't heard too much, really. That doesn't seem to be covered often. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm excited. That's good. I don't. I want to do something that people haven't covered. Um, have you read Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal Son? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of the that's sort of my my template. So taking oh. a 
particular piece of scripture and really sort of exploding it and mm. opening it up and looking at all the pieces because it's such a, mm. it's just an amazing story. And it's so unusual. And you have the characters of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and, of course, Jesus and the disciples. And they're traveling and it's confusing and it's shocking. And <laughs> so I, I'm really, I'd love, I, frankly, I, I wish I were done my prayer book because I want to write this one more. Yeah, there's so many weird things to to that story too. Yes, I know. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, that will be very exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, that's really great. And then the best place, and you're really involved on Twitter too. I never mentioned this, but you're one of the most active um, priests on Twitter that I know of. And yeah, for better or worse, huh? <laughs> it can be really, it can be very brutal on that oh, media. I think it, I I wouldn't even say it can be. It is very brutal. <laughs> yeah. No, it's crazy. Yeah. I tweeted out something this morning. Every morning I tweet out a little gospel tweet, like a little mini homily. Yeah. And I talked about Jesus, um, uh, you know, asking us to go out to all creation. And mm -hmm. the interesting thing is that it's not just humanity, it's creation. Jesus wants us to proclaim the good news to creation, you know, which is very mysterious. Mm. I mean, you know, how do you, how do you <laughs> proclaim the good news to a rock or a tree? But nonetheless, <laughs> that's what he said, at least in Mark. And I tweeted out something that says that, oh, the Greek word is kitasai or something, which means creation. And, you know, it's, it's a reminder that we're to appreciate the natural world. And someone uh, someone said something snotty in response. Yeah, <laughs> as, as you can predict that, <laughs> thought, right? You can't really. Okay, if you're going to object to that, then I don't know what to say. <laughs> and preaching to creation, you are doing that to yourself. You know, you, you are embodying the thing that you're doing like I've often, yeah I've mm -hmm. often thought too like let's say you do preach to a rock the rock can't hear you but in the but in the process of doing that you're becoming new and and so I why well, not that's, that's true and yeah and and it's yeah and it's a kind of reminder of I mean I always think of Francis of Assisi preaching to the birds uh -huh. who probably can understand a little better than the <laughs> rock but but it's a kind of I think it's so beautiful that Jesus would ask us to include all of creation. One of the most interesting mm. things I've, I've read recently is by a theologian named Elizabeth Johnson. And she said, I found this, this will blow your mind. <laughs> you know, in the Gospel of John, the, the prologue is the word became flesh, right? Mm. And the Greek word is sarx, which is flesh and sort of matter. And she says, it does not say the word became human, which mm. it did, of course, in Jesus. But it became sort of, part of creation. It became fleshy. It became, it became, you know, uh, something that's living, a creature alive. And so mm. her way of looking at it is that Jesus incarnated himself or God incarnated himself, not simply as a human being, but as a, as part of creation. Now we can't say he's a creature because Jesus wasn't created, but do you know what I mean? Like he takes his place in creation and it's a kind of redemption of creation as a whole. Which is really interesting. And I, I'd never thought of that because it doesn't say the word became human. Oh. It's the word became flesh. And, you know, who, what has flesh? I mean, animals have flesh. And so it's just kind of interesting um, sort of expansion of our idea of, of how God uh, incarnated himself and what does it mean to have God as part of, part of creation. It's really interesting. Does it mean flesh like biological living or does it mean flesh in terms of material world? I think it means, well, this is, so here we go. This is my like limited Greek. Uh, Sarx, Sarx, S-A-R-X, I think is kind of flesh 
uh, as in, you know, meat or oh. b- bodily, okay. but it's not just... Not people. I don't think it's just human flesh. I think right. it's yeah. I think it's deeper than that. Of course, you're going to probably get all these emails from some Greek scholar <laughs> <laughs> says he's, he's misinterpreting it. But the key point is that it's not yeah. human. Yeah. It's not just Jesus became human flesh. It's Jesus became flesh, and hmm. and and in a sense, God became, which is what Elizabeth Johnson said, God became matter. Mm. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So it's a kind of it's a kind of divinization not only of humanity but of creation, which is already holy because it's God's uh, creation. But it's just really beautiful to think about. It really kind of blew my mind when I read that. Yeah. And it, and it really goes against the, the dualism of uh, that matter yes. is bad. And, you know, that yeah, good point. it's all redeemed then, you know, because it's, it's been incarnated. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it, it's a kind of, um, it's a kind of balancing to that. Mm. Right. I mean, when, when Paul talks about the flesh and the spirit, he's talking in, you know, very, I think, symbolic terms. He's not saying mm-hmm. bodies are bad, but that's, mm-hmm. I think it's a corrective to that because a lot of times we mm-hmm. do say, you know, body is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we all have bodies. I mean, Jesus had a body, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been really delightful. I, I'm really happy to have you on and I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but um, do you have any, any last words or any places you want to point people? Well, gee, I would say, um, I think people would enjoy uh, the book, Jesus, a Pilgrimage, which is a life of Christ. And it takes people through uh, not only Jesus's life, but also a pilgrimage through the Holy Land and offers some spiritual meditations. And, um, and yeah, if you're interested, you can check out online my Facebook page, Father James Martin. I'm at Twitter at James Martin SJ. I'm on Instagram. I've been on Snapchat, but I'm kind of I'm kind of losing patience with that. Oh my goodness! There's You're not a whole so, lot going on. So brave! I can't even. Oh, it's not snap. so brave. Um, but no, and I just want to say thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. I really enjoyed talking to you. If you've listened to the show and you've thought, wow, I wish I could find out a little bit more about someone mentioned or a book or a website, that's what show notes are for. Just go to patreon.com forward slash spark my muse. Patreon is like patron with an E. Patreon.com forward slash spark my muse. If you enjoyed the show, please rate it on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening.